Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. This morning we're continuing our studies of the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to be looking at part two of Paul's response to the mystery. Our main text is Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, and in part two today we're going to be focusing on uh, the second half of verse 17 through the first half of verse 19, but just to help kind of keep the context of where we're at, let's read verses 14 through 21 together up front here. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, says Paul speaking, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then Paul's like, oh wait, the letter's not done yet. Chapter 4. No, just kidding. I love it when somebody amens themselves in scripture. So so cool. Anyways, two weeks ago we studied verses 1 through 13 uh, where Paul gave insight about the mystery. These are things regarding the church that have been hidden in past ages, but had been revealed in the church age by the Lord himself to Paul and the other apostles and prophets there in the early church. And the mystery being, and Paul explains this, that believing Gentiles would be fellow heirs with believing Jews, that they'd be of the same body together, one, and and partakers of God's promise in Christ through the gospel And Paul, in that section that we looked at two weeks ago, also gave insight into some of the purposes of that mystery, which was, you know, to blow the angelic realm's minds with the infinite wisdom of God, and and to show us, man, like what kind of access and boldness and confidence we now have because of Jesus to be able to approach the Lord and have that sort of close access and relationship with our God. And I just love, Paul just lays that all out. I just Some of the things that he writes, it just seem like, like you're just trying to wrap your head around it. Like this just seems really, really, really big. And Paul just like almost nonchalantly sort of just writes it down. And it's just like, here it is. This is, this is truth. Like it just... Laying it out there, and it's us for it's there for us to 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 read and receive and to to stand upon in faith. But in the final portion of chapter three, as we began to uh, look at last week, Paul's now bringing this heavily doctrinal half of his letter to a close by responding to the mystery he wrote about in uh, the first thirteen verses of the chapter 
with the response of prayer and praise. And so after first putting the spotlight of his prayer on the Lord in verses 14 and 15, Paul then gave insight or in, and, and still giving insight into what he prayed, what he asked the Father to do in the Ephesian believers' lives and by extension our lives in verses 16 through 19. And it's important again to note that these things Paul's praying for are not external things. He's not saying, God, make them healthy and wealthy and comfy. I don't think that's really how those three things go, but in my mind, that's the progression there. (laughs) Healthy, wealthy, comfy. But that's not it. That's not, and that's not a biblical precedence for our Christian life and Christian living, but he's going internal things. The deepest part of you, who you truly are before God, those are the things I'm directing my attention to in prayer because those in the eyes of God are really the most important things. We put so much emphasis on the outward and the physical and the financial and and it's not that God doesn't care about those things. But if all of those things are good, but inwardly our, our spiritual lives are a mess and we're weak and we're fragile before the Lord, what did it matter that all the external things were really, really good? God cares about the real you, the real me, the inner man or woman that we sometimes just don't put a lot of attention into. And yet Paul's going, God, do something there. God, do something in them. And we know as we read this prayer, man, it's got to be God. This has got to be God's work in us. Because I don't know how to just kind of make myself strong with might in the inner me. I might be able to try to work it up into a frenzy for a moment or for a day or for a few days or for a week. But you know what? If I'm trying to do that for like five years, somewhere along the way, I'm just going to like go off the rails. And God, God's desire is that this would be a continual work, a continual thing that he would do in you and me because he truly cares about the real us. Not the facade, not who we try to make other people think that we are, but who we really are. It's important for us to see from verses 16 through 19, as we considered last week, that there are four parts here to Paul's prayer, that each part builds upon the others before it, which is seen in how Paul uses the word that, When beginning to pray for each thing, his prayer begins with him asking that he, the Father, would grant you to be strengthened with might. Then builds upon that by asking that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Then builds upon that by asking that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend and know the love of Christ. I'm abbreviating here. And then builds on that by asking that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So last week, we looked at the first two parts of Paul's prayer, starting in verse 14, making our way 
through the first half of verse 17. And today we're going to look at the third part to Paul's prayer, starting with the second half of verse 17 through the first half of verse 19. Hopefully that's not confusing for anybody. But let's begin reading in verse 16 again and and read through the first half of verse 19 as we continue to look at the contents of Paul's prayer-filled response. Verse 16, Paul says, That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. We see the word that in the second half of verse 17, which shows us Paul is once again building upon the previous part of the prayer. He'd just been praying that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and as I considered the contents of this prayer, I just, it just stood out to me that this prayer is so very personal. Paul prayed that the Father would grant you, grant you that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And now says that you, being rooted and grounded in love. And though Paul had the Ephesian believers in mind when praying, we and other saints are not excluded from from Paul's prayer here because Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, had you, the saints of God, those in the family of God, in mind when he prayed these things. His prayer started with him asking the Father, according to his riches, his abundance of glory, to strengthen us with might through his spirit in the inner man or woman, the inner us, the real us, and then asking that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that Jesus, as we considered last week, would settle in and feel completely at home inside our hearts. And while those two things are already amazing things to pray, this third aspect of Paul's prayer really centers upon the Father doing an even deeper and more profound and powerful work of His agape love in each of us personally. He begins this third aspect of His prayer by asking that you be rooted and grounded in love. And I just want us to focus on that here just for a little bit. Um, As I shared last week, Paul prayed for this Because our God desires this and wants to do it. Like, I don't want us to think here as we read Paul's prayer that Paul is just, he's going rogue a little bit. Like, he's just starting to like, and almost like behind the scenes, God's going like, hey, Paul, tone it down. Let's pull you back a little bit. You're kind of asking for a lot. This is more than I'm really wanting to do. There's not any element of that here in Paul's prayer. Paul is divinely inspired by the very Spirit of God to write down this prayer, which means, again, Paul is praying it because God desires it. God desires it. So we don't have to wonder, again, we don't have to wonder, God, do you want to strengthen me? 
with my, by your spirit in the, in the real me, the inner me? God, do you, do you really want to cause Jesus to feel so at home in my heart that we would have that sort of intimacy of fellowship, that sort of depth of relationship that Jesus truly would be Lord of all in my heart? God clearly desires that. And, and Paul's going, but there's more. That you would be rooted and grounded in the agape love of God. Four Greek words that could have been used to describe love. We have one word for taco. We have one word for burrito. They had four different words to describe love. I don't know why taco and burrito. Maybe I'm craving that this morning. But of all the words, the Greek words that Paul could have used, he used the love that the New Testament uses, the New Testament writers use to describe the love that God has for us. So when we see him talking about love and the love of Christ, he's talking about that very deepest sort of love that's unconditional and sacrificial and selfless and, and others-focused that, that loves even when that love is not returned or rejected. That kind of love is the love that Paul is using here to ask God to do a work of in your and my life. Now, that being rooted means to be firmly established, like a plant being fixed in the ground with its root system, deepening and spreading to where that plant is not going anywhere. You ever met a weed like that in your yard, and you're like, I can't get this thing out. Like, its root system has gone so deep in there. I, and he's not comparing us to weeds here, but just to give you an example, or a tree that has a system that goes down and spreads out, not just deep, but wide, that it sort of anchors itself in. Its, its roots are going down into the deepest parts of the, the best kind of soil in the earth to get the best kind of nutrients that the tree needs. That's the kind of thing that Paul is praying for that God would do with us, that our roots would go down deep, be anchored in place. We'd be firmly fixed, not able to be moved from the agape love of God. And not just being rooted, Paul uses another term. He says, and grounded. Grounded also means, just like rooted, means to establish, but grounded has a different sort of context. It, it speaks of the laying of a foundation. So being rooted and grounded both speak of the same sort of thing, but with a different setting and different materials. Rooted is a agricultural or, or botanical expression and grounded is an architectural construction building sort of expression that Paul is using. And I, I like what John Stott said about 
this, he wrote, if we had the opportunity to ask Paul for what purpose he prayed that Christ would control and strengthen his readers, I think he would reply that he wanted them to be strengthened to love. For in the new and reconciled humanity which Christ is creating, love is the preeminent virtue. The new humanity is God's family whose members are brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other, notice, or should do. They need the power of the Spirit's might and of Christ's indwelling to enable them to love each other, especially across the deep racial and cultural divide which previously had separated them. He went on to say, to express how fundamental Paul, Paul longs for their love to be, he joins two metaphors, one botanical, the other architectural, both of which emphasize depth as opposed to superficiality. These Christians are to be rooted and grounded or to have deep roots and firm foundations. Thus, Paul likens them first to a well-rooted tree and then to a well-built house. In both cases, the unseen cause of their stability will be the same, love. Love is to be the soil in which their life is to be rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which their life is built. One might say that their love is to be of both a radical and a fundamental nature in their experience, for these English words refer to our roots and our foundations. Clearly, and as John Stott pointed out uh, from the expression of being rooted, God is desiring us to go deeper into his love and, and not have our experience with him and his love be superficial on the surface. I mean, how deep and wide spread are our roots to go into his level as deep and wide as possible? So much so, so that our lives would be soaking up and saturated with the love of Christ, stable and secure in the love of Christ, where what then comes out of our lives is his fruit of agape love. But then also clearly from the expression of being grounded, God is desiring us to have his love be the foundation of our lives, that our lives would be built upon his love, where everything about us is inseparably anchored and cemented into the love of Christ. And this was such an important thing for Paul to pray, not just because this prayer is always timely and applicable for any believer in any place, but also important considering what Jesus is going to say to the church of Ephesus about 30 years after Paul wrote this. Check out what we're told in Revelation chapter 2. As Jesus gives the Apostle John a message to write to the church in Ephesus, he said this in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, 
that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Clearly, from what Jesus shared there, the the church of Ephesus was a church that was strong in the truths, uh, solid in doctrine, unwavering and uncompromising in what is right and good, and they had persevered, and they had had patience, and they had labored for the Lord. They didn't do it for themselves. He didn't say, and you worked for yourselves. It was all for you. No, you did it for me. I saw it. But while holding to all those good things, they left behind something that Jesus held against them and saw as a very serious issue and commanded them to repent of, and that was that they had left behind their first love. See, somewhere along the way, in those 30 years from where Paul wrote this letter to the revelation that the Apostle John received, Paul's prayer must have stopped being their prayer. And instead of being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, their first love got left behind. It was no longer their top priority, and it was something they they fell away from in their pursuit for other things, even though clearly those other things were good things. Those were good things. Refuting false apostles and not bearing with the evil, like those are good things. But the other things were not the greatest thing that Jesus wanted them to be rooted and grounded in, comprehending intellectually and knowing experientially with all the saints. The eventual experience of the Ephesian believers, as we just considered from what Jesus said to them in Revelation 2, reinforces to us how important it is that Paul's prayer here becomes our personal experience and where we stay continually spiritually. If we're not rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, please understand this. We will be rooted and grounded in some other thing that Jesus never wanted us to be rooted and grounded in in the first place. And... And here's the interesting part about all this. I've seen this to be true over the years, walking with the Lord and being a part of different churches and denominations and a part of different believers' lives and seeing what's going on and trends that are happening in in Christendom and movements and all of that. That for some reason, when we come across a scripture like this, we want to say, but what about being rooted and grounded in this other thing, because that's important too, right? I mean, the Bible speaks into some of these other things too, right? Like, shouldn't we just, we need to make sure that we're holding to truth, right? Because for some reason in our minds, when we read this, we, we want to like almost re, like give a rebuttal to Paul's prayer. Like, yeah, no, I get it. But like this other, like that plus this other thing. And but... But that's not how Paul prays. He doesn't say, be rooted and grounded in the the love and the truth 
and in this other thing. And he says, in love. Why? Because if we're truly rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, all the other right things are going to follow. And, and here's the thing. When we're rooted and grounded in truth first, and then, it, and it's not, our, obviously our faith is rooted in truth. We're, we, it's connected to what's true and biblical and doctrinal. But when that becomes our thing, like I'm rooted and grounded there and then I, I try to implement these other, and then my soil's also, and I, my roots are going to this other thing also, you know what happens is those other things are always not quite what God desired them to be. Because when I'm rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, when you are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, and then we're about the truth of Scripture, you know how we can handle truth? We can handle it with love. So instead of using truth as like a sledgehammer that we bash somebody over the head with, we're able to hold truth the way that it was always intended to be held with, but do it in a way that's also at the same time loving and full of grace, but not compromising on truth. Or we're rooted and grounded in love, and then we can, we can handle this other thing now that God maybe has put before us, or we want to dive into we can dive into doctrine and we can go and immerse ourselves in that but it doesn't become just this thing of head knowledge because you know why first and foremost i'm just enamored with the love of christ and so i can now process the doctrine and all the things of deep theology that i'm maybe digging into but i can do it in a way where it's it's not making me now self-righteous and and having a an overinflated view of myself but I can see still other people through the lens of love. It's got to start here. Our, our, we've got to be rooted and grounded in the agape love of God. And maybe you've seen, maybe you've seen in your own life, maybe you've seen in somebody else's life, the fruit of what somebody is grounded and rooted in. And we're going... The fruit's not the best. The fruit's a little sour. The fruit's got some worms. The fruit is just plain rotten. And again, that might be, we might look at our own lives and go, that's, if I'm being honest, that's me. But guys, the right things are going to spring up the right kind of fruit is going to be produced when the soil that our roots are going down into in our own lives and the house of our life is being built upon is the love of Jesus. So I think it's important that we survey the soil that we're rooted in. And the foundation that everything else in our lives is built upon. And we really take an honest and humble look to see if the soil, to see if the foundation is truly the love of Christ or not. Have I been rooted in something else? And if it's not, that we repent, we return to our first love, which is supposed to be Jesus. To ask him to root and ground us in his love once again, to keep us in that place continually because again if our roots are down into the love of Christ the right things are going to grow and be produced 
And if our foundation has been laid upon Jesus' love, the rest of the things built upon that in our life are going to be built well. And not just built to last, but also built to honor and represent and reflect our Lord and his love in all things and to all people. But let's continue on to this third part of Paul's prayer. You see in verse 18, the first half of verse 19, Paul goes on to say, not just being rooted and grounded in love, but may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. The the rooting and grounding in love is necessary so that we are able, we're strong enough, we're, you know, it speaks of being Uh, or becoming sufficient to meet a need or task, that we are able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and, and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. The agape love of Jesus that Paul prayed we would be rooted and grounded in is a love that Paul prayed we would be able to comprehend, that word also meaning to grasp or to lay hold of with all the saints. And that we would be able to know that love which passes knowledge. Paul's prayer here, again, is personal. It's for you and me individually. But it's also to be worked out corporately as a church family, together with all the saints. I quoted him once, but I'm going to quote him once again. John Stott, I love what he said about this. He wrote, We shall have power to comprehend these dimensions of Christ's love. Paul adds, only with all the saints. The isolated Christian can indeed know something of the love of Jesus, but his grasp of it is bound to be limited by his limited experience. It needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. All the saints together Jews and Gentiles, men and women, young and old, black and white, with all their varied backgrounds and experiences. In order for us to most fully, right, most fully comprehend, to grasp, to lay, lay hold of God's immeasurable and amazing love, we need other saints, other believers in our lives. And this is just one reason why being in fellowship with other believers is so important and crucial, but it's also just one reason why being, and this is a home group plug, why being part of a home group is so important and crucial. Are we making time to have this even be what happens in our lives? Or is it just me on my own? Don't worry, all God You can reach, you can help me to comprehend. Yeah, you can. But there's an element here where he's going, yeah, but but for you to really comprehend, to most fully comprehend, you need other saints in your life. Because you have have you ever missed something about God that someone else like shared or and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I never even thought of that. Or you hear about what God's doing in someone else's life and how the love of God has worked upon them and changed them and, 
And, and that wasn't your experience, but all of a sudden the love of Christ is, is unfolded to you in an even, even deeper way than you would have ever considered on your own because all you know is what you know. And other people, when you're not in fellowship, when you're not making that time, when you're not having Christ-centered conversation and being involved, other people just as much are missing out on what God has done in your life that he wants to then have flow from your life to help unfold the love of Christ in their lives. And we tend to just be, we're so individualistic. I'll work it, I'll work on it, and I, I'll do that. And, and it's just not, but it's not biblical Christianity. It's just not. Biblical Christianity is always worked out in community. It's always worked out in the context of family, right? The family of God from whom all heaven and earth is named, Paul wrote to begin this prayer. As John Stott said, it it needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God, all the saints together. I just, I love that. What does Paul pray we would comprehend with all the saints? Well, the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Um, width speaks of breadth, right? The, the extent from side to side. Length speaks of, of distance, the linear extent in space from one end to the other. Depth speaks of the extent downward or backward or, or inward of something. And, and height speaks of the vertical dimension of extension, distance from the base of something to the top. So, like, Think about all the possible dimensions and ways that you could try to measure and fathom the love of Christ. Like, take all of that into consideration. Like, you and I are going to only partly scratch the surface of trying to figure out and come to the end of and grasp how wide and how long and how deep and how high the love of God for us is. I like what David Gutzik said about these dimensions Paul mentions in his prayer, and you men are going to hear from Pastor David next weekend at the men's retreat, but uh, so you can tell him, as my kids always used to say to me, that I quote him every week. It's not every week, it's just most weeks. <clears throat> he actually gave me permission once to not even quote him by name, but I don't like that. So anyways, he's a good guy. The, the love of Jesus, he wrote, has width. He said, you can see how wide a river is by noticing how much it covers over. God's river of love is so wide that it covers over my sin and it covers over every circumstance of my life so that all things work together for good. When I doubt his forgiveness or his providence, I am narrowing the mighty river of God's love. His love is as wide as the world for God so loved the world, John 3, 16. He said the love of Jesus has length. When considering the length of God's love, ask yourself, when did the love of God start towards me? How long will it continue? These truths measure the length of God's love. 
Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. He says the love of Jesus has depth. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 tells us how deep the love of Jesus goes. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You can't go lower than the, depth, uh, than the death of the cross, and that is how deep the love of Jesus is for us. And then he said, the love of Jesus has height. To see the height of God's love, ask yourself, how high does it lift me? It lifts me to heavenly places where I am seated with Christ. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, verse 6. Again, Paul prayed this because God desires it. That we would be able to comprehend, to grasp, to lay hold of intellectually, but also know, and that word he uses to know speaks of an experiential kind of knowledge, a knowledge gained through experience, that we would know the agape love of Christ, which passes or literally goes beyond knowledge. Again, is Paul just kind of going rogue here? Like, what? You're praying for, like, you're, you're saying that we would know what we can't really know because it passes our knowledge. Are you saying, look, we, we can't fully grasp it. It's that deep and wide and long and high. It's that big. And yet God's going, but I still want you to grasp as much of it, experience as much of it as you humanly can this side of heaven. You know, I don't know if you've ever felt this way of like, like God's almost withholding parts of himself from you or withholding his love or withholding his grace from you. And it's just never true. It's never true because what I see here in Paul's prayer is God going, I'm not withholding anything. If you want to know how boundless my love is towards you, look to what Jesus did on the cross. How wide, how long, how deep, how high. Look at the outstretched arms of Jesus, nailed to a Roman cross, scourged and beaten, and his beard ripped out, and his face beaten to a bloody pulp, and bleeding from head to toe. How deep and long and high and wide is the love of Christ Jesus has showed us, Jesus has showed us how great his love is for you and for me. We can't, I mean, if we've doubted it in the past, just, we don't need to doubt it anymore. You think about what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
not height or depth, not angels or principalities, not things present or things to come. Nothing, nothing can separate you and me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we think about this and Paul's going, God, I know that we're, we can't fully, like it's, it passes our knowledge. It's too great. But Lord, would you help us to grasp it anyways? God, it's so great, but Lord, would you help us to experience it to the fullest, fullest extent that we can possibly anyways? I don't see a God withholding anything. I see a God with his arms stretched wide going, I want to give you all of myself, as much as you can handle, as much of my love that you could ever humanly experience. Paul prayed for it regardless. That our roots would go down into it, our lives would be founded upon it again. Because this is God's desire for you and for me. And not only is this prayer of Paul something for our own spiritual benefit between us and the Lord, because it is, right? It's something that's meant to benefit all the saints. The love of Jesus so working in us that it impacts and blesses and strengthens and builds up, builds up other saints, other believers that we're in fellowship with. But it's also something that's meant to be used powerfully by the Lord through our lives as both a witness and a blessing to influence and impact unsaved people in our lives and throughout the world that they'd see Jesus in us and be drawn to Jesus through us. You ever been around somebody that's just, man, they're clearly their roots are deep into the love of Christ just the love of Jesus just permeates their life. What, what do you take away? How great they are? How loving they are? You just go, wow. Jesus, that's you. That's you. And, and what are other people going to see of Jesus in us if the love of Jesus is absent within us? It's got to be there. It's got to be there. And this isn't like a condemning word. This is, a, this is like, this is what God wants to do. It's what he's able to do. It's what he's seeking to do. And he's working actively in our lives by his spirit. But again, there might be part of that where we're going, I'm kind of like the church of Ephesus today. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm solid in truth and I'm refuting those that are false and I'm against evil and but... I don't know that the love of Christ is really like the soil that my life is rooted and grounded in so much anymore. And the repent is one of the most beautiful words. It's one of the most beautiful words because it's one that gives access to, to, to God himself. Why? Because we're turning away from something that he's going, that's not of me. I don't want that for you. And that means we're, we're turning towards him by faith and going, Lord, you, you alone, 
your ways, your word, your will, your love in my life. And there's more that we're going to look at next week. I actually wanted to do like the whole thing, but then I realized that it was going to go way too long. And my wife is reminding me how kids lose their heads in children's ministry. So I'm going to work on that. Try to learn from that. I don't want to promise anything, but I'm going to do my best. So uh, with that, let's have the worship team come back up. You know, if we're going this morning like, this sounds great. Um, And I want it to be true of me, but I'm just not there. Like, we don't have to figure out all the right steps. That's the great part. Repentance is not a 10-step program. It's not. It's one thing. Turn towards Jesus. Turn towards Jesus. Lord, I'm examining my life, maybe even this morning. I'm thinking like, oh gosh, Lord, I just, I want this to be true of me more and more. Or you know what? I've been... I've been rooting myself and grounding myself in other things, and, and maybe they're not good things. Maybe they are good things, but they're not the best thing. And, and for us to just be able to, in humility, go, Lord, I want all that you got for me. I want all of you. I want you to have all of me. Lord, I want to comprehend and experience this kind of love that I can't even fully grasp. But Lord, would you do it anyways? We make that our prayer this morning. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Paul's prayer, Lord, which is really, again, your desire, Lord. God, you want us to have our roots going down deep into the love of Jesus. Lord, we want that. Lord, if we've been building our lives on other things, Lord, if we've been rooted in other things, God, would you do a little transplanting this morning? Would you do whatever's needed, Lord, in our lives to, to shake up kind of where, where we've been at to take us where you want us, Lord. And God, if we've left our first love, that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have any love for you or that we've rejected you, but Lord, if there's parts of us, God, where we've made our lives about other things and your love is no longer a top priority, Lord. Your love is no longer the thing that we're rooted in, that, God, this morning we would repent. And, God, would you do a fresh work in us? But, but maybe if you're here this morning, you never just first put your, your faith in Jesus. I want to encourage you, if that's you, that the love of Jesus is for you. It's for you. You've not blown it, been too rebellious or 
you've done something that's just, man, you've, t- you've removed yourself to a place where you're beyond the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the salvation of Jesus, it's not, that's not true this morning for any person in this room. If, if you're willing to humble yourself before the Lord and repent and put your trust in Jesus, he will save you. He will forgive you. He will lavish his love upon you. But it's got to be your decision. And so if that's anybody here this morning and you're going, that's me. And Jared, would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand where you're at and just for me to know that I can be praying for you this morning? Anybody at all? You need the salvation of Jesus. Maybe this morning it's not salvation as much as you're hearing all this and you're going, man, I've, I've left my first love. And I need to repent this morning. And I'd love to pray for you. So it's, it's not just a something in the moment where we're e- able to sort of like acknowledge, but then sort of it goes in one ear and out the other. But, but if you're going, I, I need God to bring me back. I need to be rooted and grounded once again in the love of Christ. Would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Just between you and the Lord, you'd say, God, I repent. (laughs) I return to my first love. Lord, you see these that have lifted their hands this morning. God, would you meet them where they're at? Lord, would you uproot them out of things that maybe they've been um, kind of pursuing after or or anchored themselves to that, that are not the thing that you desire for them? Lord, this morning, God, would you do a fresh and radical work of your agape love in their lives? Lord, that they would truly comprehend and experience your amazing love, Lord. And God, we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you that your love truly is, Lord, wide and long and deep and high, that it's beyond knowledge because lord it means that it's a love greater than one that we could ever come up with on our own and so god would you do that more and more in our lives more and more of your love god more and more of us rooted and grounded we thank you father we 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 pray these things in jesus name amen